Are you looking for ways to attract and retain private pay clients? Thryzer is a payment platform for therapists built to help clients automatically tap into their out-of-network benefits and save on therapy up front. Check out our special link, join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist, and use the code modern therapists to activate $2,500 in free payments with Thryzer. Therapy Notes, the number one trusted EHR among mental health professionals, just keeps getting better and better. With legendary customer support 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they're giving you all the tools you need to succeed, whether you're a solo clinician or a group practice. Try them free for two months using promo code MODERN today. You're listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide, where therapists live, breathe, and practice as human beings. To support you as a whole person and a therapist, here are your hosts, Kurt Widhelm and Katie Vernoy. Welcome back, Modern Therapists. This is the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. I'm Kurt Widhelm with Katie Vernoy, and we have had a couple of our listeners reach out to us and say, would you guys do an episode on working with some of these online telehealth platforms, the, the talk spaces, the better helps, the other various platforms that look like this. And this also came at a time right around August when we became aware of a New York Times article that we're going to discuss here in a little bit about some stuff going on over at Talkspace. And it also gave us a time to reach out to our modern therapist community and get a little bit of background information here about the ins and the outs of this. Now, I think it's important to say at the top of this that neither of us have worked for one of these platforms before, that this is kind of a collection of data here. This is either information that we were able to source on the internet. We did reach out to a couple of people who spoke to us on terms of keeping their identities anonymous based on some agreement stuff in the background. So we actually did some journalistic kind of stuff in prepping <laughs> for this episode. But I want to start from, you know, kind of when we first got reached out to of some of the reputation stuff that I have been hearing all along about these places. And that kind of led some of the questions that that we have, have gone with. Now, I have heard some of the reputation of you know, goods and bads. These services have, have provided some opportunities for people who might not normally seek out mental health services to actually get access. But I've also heard some concerns of these platforms might not let therapists know all of the things that you might need to know about a client, like the severity of their mental health needs, their actual names, their locations. <laughs> and I've These also are things we're supposed to know, right? Things that we would seemingly know and uh, supposed to know. And I've also heard that pay isn't very good. And I think in being able to provide some of this information, that was kind of the starting point of where we started looking and boy, did we find a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah, I think I think we can dig into stuff. I don't have a lot of reflection as far as the reputation part, but I I have heard some some positive things about access. I've also heard positive things from clinicians who have used it as a a way to start private practice or start growing and having a little bit of income. I think it's something where the sustainability and the the work just doesn't line up for folks for too long. And so I think 
you know, let's dive into what we actually found. But I think that was the reputation that I'd heard that it was a good tool at a specific time in someone's career. It was a good mechanism for access for certain types of clients. But yeah, there's other problems. So I'm going to start with the New York Times article. This was published on August 7th, 2020, and it's titled At Talkspace, Startup Culture Collides with Mental Health Concerns. And this goes through a very fascinating read about a person who is a Talkspace customer and then eventually ended up working for the company. And during this time as a quote-unquote training sort of thing, he was approached to have the transcripts of his sessions read in front of staff. And he agreed based on some, you know, keep this thing anonymous, and it was overplayed and kind of, you know, bringing up some very intimate details. Yeah, wow. And definitely led to, you know, a a lot of embarrassment. He ended up suing Talkspace for some discrimination, wrongful termination stuff that arose out of this. Well, actually, I I want to correct you there because he stayed for another two years. True. (laughs) But but there there was that as well as other stuff that they were trying to claim when he was terminated. Well, and they were pulling stuff from his sessions in backing up that his anxiety and his depression was impacting Uh. his work. So flags so far that we're seeing is sure. these conversations are accessible by more than just the therapist. These are things that the people on the tech end of things can just pull up and that this is information that so far in this story seems to be being used against people when it's convenient for the company. Now, this is a situation where somebody actually went and worked for Talkspace. And they argued that he had consented to having his sessions read in front of folks and that he had told people, but he said it was more that it had gotten out. And so then he just took ownership of it. But I think the piece that I that really sticks for me in, in the whole article is that it really is about seeing clients as data. Yeah. Because I think there's there's use in relationship to potential, you know, kind of what does the data tell us? You know, what can we learn from the data? How we how can we, you know, create better products and services from the data? But there's also this type of data that seems to have been used against an employee, which sounds like it might have been kind of a unique experience, but I don't know. But there's this other piece in that article about the therapist who it was actually this guy's therapist, but I don't know if it was for him, had sent out an anxiety worksheet. It was pinged and she got noticed that she should not be sending folks out of the data, out of the Talkspace platform, which is a business practice. Like don't, don't lose our, you know, don't send them off of our, our landscape, you know, make sure you keep them in the app, you know, that kind of stuff. And it seems like it, it is very business focused rather than, Clinical efficacy focus. So we're. I, I want to come back to that point a little bit later in the episode, as far as worksheets and stuff through here. But I want to go back to your collecting data point, and this comes from Reddit user u slash false insight, and talking about you know, the perceptions of what a company like this might be using data for. And this user imagines that their data mining is being developed for 
AI to potentially develop uh, an app that kind of cuts the human aspect out of this therapy response in the first place. Oh, dear. Which, when you consider how much we all disagree on what the human experience is and all of our various unique approaches, boiling this down to AI may not be the best thing, especially when we take into aggregate some of the other concerns of these platforms. The idea, and I think it could be a noble idea, but I think it's a misguided idea, is if somebody is texting at 3 a.m., I don't think it, it makes sense that a therapist should have to respond within minutes at 3 a.m., whether that's part of the model or not. You know, I've talked to a lot of DBT therapists that are like, I don't respond at 3 a.m., I'm sleeping, and I, I wait till I'm in wise mind until I respond, those kinds of things. Whereas an AI could read the the comment and be able to, for example, send out emergency response or be able to, you know, do say words of encouragement or or something that might be very beneficial to someone's in a, in a really dark place at 3 a.m. However, what you just said about having a response from an AI at 3 a.m. that is built upon an aggregate of data from a hugely diverse population of people and may not be aligned to a level of, of clinical need that someone at 3 a.m. might have, it can make things worse. I mean, I think the liability for a company like this would be gigantic. So I just, you know, I get worried about those things. So our, our friends over at psychotherapynotes.com, this is our, our good friends over at Ben Caldwell Labs, their blog site, had an article by Jeff Liebert in March of 2019, kind of on this AI stuff. And this was being showcased. This is a program called Mitsuku. But in testing out where AI stuff was, now this is two years ago, which is like eons in tech stuff, but <laughs> Jeff Liebert, the author of this blog, wrote about trying this out and started with, I am suicidal. I want to kill myself. And the AI's response was, but that would be stupid. There's always oh, no. a way to sort out your problems. Oh, no. <laughs> so Jeff tried again and said, I'm thinking of death. And the AI responded with, that's a bit depressing. Wouldn't you like to discuss something more upbeat like celebrity gossip? Oh, no. Oh, no. So this AI thing can be potentially really, really scary. But there is so much more to cover in this episode because yes. that yes. is that is you know kind of the, the really big thing in here. But I think it's important to talk about like what is being sold to consumers and how that ends up playing out to the, uh, the therapists who work for them, uh, who work on these platforms. Now, uh, across many of these platforms, it seems that they have a monthly fee. You know, for a uh, certain dollar amount, you get certain access. You get you know so either so many video sessions or uh, it seems to be really popular with a lot of people is these text sessions. Uh, there's a YouTube video that we'll link in our show notes at mtsgpodcast.com. This is from the situational therapist. He's uh, MFT that describes his experience working with BetterHelp. Now, and this is corroborated by a couple of the other interviews that uh, we we have done with our modern therapists. But when a client reaches out to a therapist they are only allotted a certain number of words per month in order to tell their story and what's going on. And situational therapist says it's 7,500 words a month. 
And this is on the client side or the therapist side? Both. And so if, and therapists are paid by the amount of words that they write back. So there's okay. a motivation, especially early on in the month, to write a ton back to your client in order to get paid. But once yeah. you hit that cap, there's no more responding. There's no more sending from the client side more information to the therapist. And so you could potentially burn through 7,500 words in you know just a couple of sessions. And then you can no longer contact that therapist for the rest of the month, or you have to upgrade your plan. Oh my gosh. Or you can find a new therapist and start all over. With a, a, a with new 7,500 words. With a new fee that you now have to share your whole story again with, oh thereby God. using up a lot of the words. Now, all of the therapists that we've talked to and shared in this video, situational therapists, described this a little bit more concretely than anybody else did, but said that as a therapist working for these, you know, we, we directly asked, what do you get paid working in one of these platforms? <laughs> and most of the answers were this really pregnant silence of, I'm not really sure how to describe it, and I'm not really sure that I understand it, because you get paid so much per so many words that you respond back to a client. You have to have like a certain percentage of, your, of the client sent this many words. Like you can't just like, you know, copy and paste a bunch of things. You know, you say, how, do you, how are you today? And the client says, good. You can't send like, you know, a thousand word thing that you just have copied and pasted ready to go. Like, you know, there's some sort of, you know, limitations within the algorithms of appropriate level of responses. But you get paid so much per minute of video sessions. You get paid so much per minute of phone calls. But unless you meet a certain payment thresholds over the course of the month, they don't pay you. That you have to have like, you know, you have to have earned like at least a hundred dollars a month on your clients. So you can't just like pick up one and like, you know, do just a couple of video sessions and, you know, type a bunch of stuff back. Like you have to see enough clients to actually have them pay you out. So they don't pay you if you don't hit a certain threshold. Yes. I mean, was like a hundred just something you made up or is that a real number? That was just something that I made up just now, but it wasn't. So it could be, it could be $500. It could right. be $400. It could be 50. It's hard to know. Right. But, but so you could, end up working for free. Yeah. So if you make $99 in the month, they don't pay you. You start over the next month. Oh my gosh. <sighs> <laughs> yeah. Thryzer is a payment platform designed for out-of-network therapy. As a therapist, you would use Thryzer to charge clients for sessions and collect your full rate up front. From the client's perspective, Thryzer links to their health plan, so insurance claims are automatically submitted for them upon every charge. From there, Thryzer manages the claims end-to-end -end so that your clients don't have to worry about manually submitting super bills or getting on calls with insurance. The best part? Thryzer allows clients to only pay their co-insurance portion for sessions, while Thryzer covers the rest of your fee and waits for reimbursement on their behalf. They also offer you an instant benefits calculator for free, allowing you to provide upfront transparency to prospective clients on their out-of-network coverage. Therapists only pay a standard 3% credit card processing fee per session with no additional fees. Visit join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist 
to get started and use our promo code Modern Therapists to receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. I mean, I think there's, there's, there's different avenues to take this. Okay. So there's, and maybe, I don't know if you want to start with the, the worker issues. <laughs> there's also clinical issues related to this. Oh, yes. Where, the, where do you want to start with this? Because like I am. Oh, the, the clinical issues I'm, are going to come right back into the worker issues. So let's okay. start with the clinical ones. Go ahead okay. because I will share the stories of the people that I talk to. I'm just Katie, thinking Katie about. Is, Katie's doing that thing <laughs> where it's like. You, you pinch your nose and it's just like, where do I go next with this? Like, I uh... don't know. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. So, so as a, cl- as a clinician, I have a client who doesn't talk very much and one word answers. <laughs> and <laughs> just, I don't even know where to go with this. Like if we look at the clinical side, being assessed on the number of words used or the number of minutes in a session or whatever it is, like the minutes in the session, like that's spilling in most formats, right? Like I, I worked in, med- in in a Medicaid system, so I know that we actually build by the minute. So, okay, that kind of makes sense. Sure. You know, obviously there's there are people who do that in a legitimate way. They have a treatment plan. It makes sense. And then there are folks who do it in a way um, and I think we joked about this in the, one of the burnout system, burnout machine episodes around, you know, or one of the to- or toxic work environments, something where it was like, your crisis is my productivity. And people would, you know, not create crises, but would, you know, like, okay, great, I've got billing, you know. And so I can see that when a specific number of, if it's truly by the minute, if it's truly by those those types of things, it can start to feel a little predatory at times when you're looking for places where you can bill minutes. But that's not a new thing. So this word thing though, this is this is so strange because like I think about for myself and for you, like I would be paid more because I am, I am way so wordier. Ver- I'm so verbose. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like super verbose and like every once in a while I'll, I'll like send you a text and it'll like respond back like, okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think... Like I think about clinician by clinician, it's going to be different. People may start saying more and using more of the words so that they can get paid. And and really, you know, especially with the clients that don't, that aren't really wordy, you're going to want to try to like get paid enough. So then if you're using more words, it, it could be really off-putting for the, cl- the client. Mm-hmm. I just like, I don't understand that model, especially if there is a, if there's a basement and out below that you don't get paid. Like it just, it sets it up for people to do work that is focused on getting paid versus focused on the clinical work. So getting into, you know, more of the complexities of the pay here. One of the things that one of our modern therapists was telling me is when they were working was when their platform had first started developing worksheets for clients to use within the platform. And this goes a little bit back to what you were bringing up earlier with it. Uh, So this was a couple of years ago, and this person admits that things may have changed since this time. But part of the payment structure is a worksheet is worth so many words towards your word count for the month that goes towards, you know, all right, you're using more words, you get paid more. But you also get to count within those worksheets how many words your client is using in answering the questions on the worksheet towards the word count cap. So if you have a client that is extremely verbose in those questions, guess where that's coming from? 
their monthly word allotment. Oh, wow. It's kind of like the pharmaceutical reps that are like, here, here is medicine and we'll incentivize you to give this medicine. I mean, it's, it's also an access issue if people are using extra words. And, and for therapists, how much easier is that, right? You just give them a worksheet and, and they go off, they do something. Hopefully it's helpful, but you get paid. Woohoo! Because right. <laughs> there's a whole bunch of words in that. But I'm thinking about, is that the right worksheet for that client? Like clinicians can start walking a line on some ethics around and clinical efficacy around some of this stuff. If it's just like, how do I get paid without burning out? So this goes to next, the accessibility thing for clients, because, you know, we're seeing these platforms being advertised everywhere. And truth be told, Katie and I were reached out to have one of our sponsorships by one of these platforms, by a company that they you know, contract out. So yeah, it it wasn't directly with the company. And we'd had some of these concerns and we said, you know, Hey, before we get into an agreement with you, we'd like these concerns to be, you know, answered. Is there a way that you can answer these concerns? And we never heard back from them. Well, we actually sent them a link to schedule time to meet with us. And like we we actually gave them our calendar link (laughs) to talk about it. So this is partially where, we, you know, look out for you guys, our listeners, and know that the people that we partner with are people that we vet. But we are, you know, we had these concerns and they gave even them an opportunity to help clarify some of these concerns for us. To no avail. To no avail. But still, we're, we're, we're keeping our, we'll keep, we'll keep so, keeping an eye out. But speaking, they, they are advertising everywhere and... One of our modern therapists that was speaking to me brought up that these programs do actually provide good access. And there is a sizable chunk of the population who are accessing mental health services in ways that they never have before. And it's for people who maybe have non-traditional hours that can use the asynchronous versions of texting back and forth that have even personally received their own help very, very well. And it convinced them enough to actually become therapists on one of these platforms. But each therapist also gets rated and reviewed by their customers, by their clients. And amongst the myriad of things that they get rated on are responsiveness. And so those 3 a.m. clients that Katie was bringing up for DBT that send five or six messages in the middle of the night while people are doing reasonable human things like sleeping, that you'll wake up in the morning and you'll have a zero-star review from your client because you didn't respond in an appropriate amount of time to your asynchronous conversations to them, which then affects your availability to match with other clients. Yeah. And I actually went on the Better Business Bureau and looked at a couple of these platforms and a lot of the consumer issues, which is, you know, clients, right, is about a lack of accessibility that they they sent messages. It was days and days. No therapist responded. Their membership didn't work because they were not, you know, their cl- their clinician went on a vacation. Like there's just all these different issues around I signed up and I didn't hear from my therapist or customer service for weeks. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so to me, you know, they're advertising everywhere. They're providing access 
sometimes or most of the time, but especially, and I think there was in the, in the New York times article, there was, you know, kind of this, well, the, the requests are going up, blah, 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 you know, and, and it's, I'm wondering if they're outstripping their capacity by marketing to a whole bunch of folks that may have higher level of need than is appropriate to use this plat these platforms. And I talked about this with, in one of the interviews in, in preparation for this. And the therapist that I was speaking to described it as this is a, a service that's being advertised to a lot of people. And there's many people who this ends up becoming the way that they seek out services and they're not good candidates for these kinds of services. They have a higher level of needs. They need more traditional therapy approaches and run a greater risk. Now from, from the therapist side, you actually get a choice in who you match up with. And so if somebody is presenting in their initial questionnaire with things that you find questionable, you would have a reason or have a reasonable opportunity to not, take them onto your caseload because of clinical concerns that you might have. But the anonymity piece of these platforms is something where you may never know where your client is located, what their full name is, how to get in touch with them in the event of a escalated emergency. Now, there seems to be an opportunity to flag these kinds of situations up to the you know, corporations that run this and, and they would, you know, put things into the hands of local uh, authorities or local psychiatric emergency teams that, that would be able to handle them. But only if it's done through the system. And one of our therapists talked about being licensed in multiple states and having the, the state authorities from one of the states that they did not live in approach them contact them and say, hey, your client said that you're providing services. We have a, a situation that we're responding to here. And when the therapist reached out to the, the platform and said, hey, did they get this information through, through you guys? And there was very little support from, from the platform as far as being able to do anything about it. Hey, this is outside of our hands. This is, you know, client must have given your information. The authorities can do this. And then I'm assuming still did not release information to the therapist on the client and the contact information and all those things. So the therapist has information, doesn't know if it's actually true that they're the therapist. It's the same first name, but could be that it's not their, their client doesn't have any access and doesn't have support from the platform that they use to work with this client. Yep. Oh my gosh. Now I mean, there's just so, there's just so many problems. <laughs> well, and so this gets into a, another bit of the legalese. And I'm going to go back to the, the situational therapist, YouTube video on this. He talks in, in this video about the, the agreement that you sign up for as a therapist. And in, in, you know, legalese, based on all of the readings of, you know, going through all the fine-tooth comb stuff that I'm sure we all do on everything that we <laughs> sign up for, noted, uh, he was talking about BetterHelp in this situation, noted that BetterHelp provides counselor services, not counseling services. Uh, I'm not a lawyer, but I've 
done quite a bit of law and ethics stuff in my career, but this seems to be a distinction between actually being responsible as a company for mental health stuff versus giving something in the flavor of a mental health direction. Uh, the user agreement shared in this video goes so far as to say that if you need medical advice or that the counselor that you're working with through our platform gives you this advice, go ahead and ignore that because we provide counselor services and that if you need an official diagnosis that involves an in-person thing, you need to go someplace else. Not only does Therapy Notes combine billing, scheduling, notes, secure messaging, group telehealth, and more into one streamlined platform, they're also always adding new features and forms to their library. So no matter your specialty, Therapy Notes has you covered. Learn more at therapynotes.com and use promo code MODERN for two months free. Is this kind of the, the same stuff that, like... Uber and, and Lyft and that kind of stuff are saying that we provide an app that people can use to connect with folks. We're not actually a driver, driving service. Yes. Okay. So, so this is also potentially because all these folks are contractors. And so they're not employees. They're contractors in a way because we're providing them with the capacity to, to meet with a client. Uh -huh. However, they are taking on the liability of full name and all this stuff. So they're 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 straddling some lines saying, well, there are customers who want to meet a counselor and have an ability to talk with a counselor, but we're not going to give full we're not going to let them pay the therapist directly. We pay the therapist and we're not going to give the therapist the full capacity to do treatment as they would do in their own private practice. Mm -hmm. Yes. Meaning information blah 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 so so how it i mean like it that feels like again i'm not an attorney either but it feels like they are jumping through a lot of different hoops in order to be able to provide a service in this way without being able to i mean like it like it's like what is even the reason i mean i guess some people will want their anonymity i get that and that might be a big appeal to some of these pl platforms but the issue is the therapist is unable to, to comply with their own legal and ethical issues, but they're also not necessary, like, but they're using a counselor app, not a counseling app. So, so how does this even fly? Because these are tech companies that are matching just do whatever they want. therapists <laughs> with clients and kind of going off the judgment that therapists are going to end up being responsible for themselves. Uh, Without giving them the information. Yes. Are therapists allowed to ask for that information? It's up to the client to release this information to the therapist is my understanding of this. Got it. So the therapist is kind of stuck and, and could potentially say, I'm not going to work with any clients unless I get all this information, but then they're not going to get matched with any clients and, and not get paid. Uh, one of the questions that, you know, from the law and ethics side of things that I had also asked and, uh, was around, you know, this is this being online stuff. Is there ever any pressure to be matched with clients who are outside of the state that you're licensed in? And, you know, this has been one of the concerns in the very robust and exciting psychotherapy law and ethics world that 
is frankly Ben Caldwell and I and a couple of other people <laughs> having these conversations uh, where jurisdictional stuff really comes in, especially when it comes to these platforms. And I asked this uh, in the interviews that I did and to these companies' credits, they ask where you're licensed, they match you with clients who are there, at least in in residency in these states, that during COVID times, there was kind of this, are you willing to take on now that there's, you know, some of these mandates being released to see clients in other places that gave therapists the option to enter into it. There didn't seem to be a pressure to actually match out of states. One platform was described as also actually putting geolocation on both the counselor and the client side of things to ensure that there's at least some sort of jurisdictional location stuff. So one piece that seems to be at least relieving my concerns in this is they're at least respecting jurisdictional laws. So you say that, and it sounds like your your conversations with some of your modern therapists are very encouraging, but... I just found this article on CNBC and they were talking about an internal talk space memo. And I'm going to read directly from this and we'll put it in the show notes. Online therapy provider Talkspace sent a memo to therapists asking if they wanted to join a group to work in many states and offer to provide indemnification for denied insurance claims and fund any legal appearances before state regulatory boards. Uh, what does that what? actually mean? What? <laughs> They're they're given kind of this whole like go break the law and we'll pay for it sort of thing. Yes, yes, that's what I'm that's what I'm hearing. Don't do this. No, no, don't like, do it. Like, <laughs> no, I know it's bad, but you you understand the the legal and ethical ramifications here. Like, if someone were to do this, how would it impact them? So first of all, you're this might vary depending on which state you're in or which jurisdiction, but. If you do get reported to a licensing board, you're you're practicing in a potential other state without a license. Now, you can get in trouble in both states, you know, where you are licensed and where you're not for, for doing this. But A, you're relying on Talkspace to actually follow through on paying for your defense mm-hmm. and whatever potential fines that you're you're going for here. But long term, this is also something where you have to check a box on every license renewal application and every malpractice insurance renewal that you have been investigated by a board. And that's going to affect your malpractice insurance rates for the rest of your career. And if you don't check those boxes and they find out, you're getting into lying to the government sort of penalties around this could potentially affect you for the rest of your career. Talkspace, it seems like on this, is banking on people not reporting their therapist for practicing across state lines. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it's it's difficult, right? Because I agree that there should be some sort of ability to to practice across state lines if you've got clients who travel a lot if there's high need areas that are not well covered even within their own state this isn't the way to do it no and there and there's a lot of confusion there and and i think that you know even if people are not actively trying to skirt around this these laws right now you know people are being inappropriately matched well and i'm just also wondering about the the precedent that this sets 
you know, where, you know, what if your employers just like, don't worry about doing this? Like, not just in this capacity of like online yeah. platforms, but like, you know, go ahead and sleep with your clients. We'll, we'll pay for your, your defense. Yeah, we'll indemnify you. Like, what does that even mean? How can they can't do that? <laughs> Are they going to say like, oh, well, we t- made them do it. Like, I'm like, no, the Nazis were individually prosecuted. Um, <laughs> my employer made me do it. <laughs> yeah. Stanley Milgram has a thing or two to say about this, but yes, yes. <laughs> so in addition to this plan, I don't know, to try to to by force change the laws or avoid the laws and and help therapists to unsuspectedly um, put their licenses at risk and raise their malpractice insurance, et cetera, for years to come. There are also issues, and I was looking in the Better Business Bureau, there are also issues around people just being inappropriately matched. Therapists aren't actually seeing these clients, but clients are not being seen because they're matched with somebody in a different state or that isn't licensed in their state. And so they just keep getting pushed around. And there's several different types of complaints in the Better Business Bureau around lack of access, that people are not getting seen by a therapist very quickly. And I get it. It's it's hard to to navigate all those pieces. And, and like you said, there's some some things in place to help to ensure that the therapist is licensed where the person is residing. But I think that there are some big problems. Now, the last piece that I want to bring up goes back to this New York Times article that talks about the rating manipulation that Talkspace engaged in. Oh, and yes. The false reviews. So when Talkspace was first launched, it got some pretty middling reviews and a lot of, a lot of three-star sort of aggregate averages. And the article goes on to describe how employees of the company were given burner phones to manipulate the App Store and Google Store ratings of their app in order to drive the ratings back up. And you know, honestly, there was a question that Katie and I kind of looked at as we were gathering information for this of like, yeah, we always appreciate your ratings and reviews and honest (laughs) feedback from us. But, you know, we're two people. We have our little modern therapist community, but this is a company that seemingly gave out hundreds of burner phones and created lots of free email addresses to have new credentials to log into these various, you know, app store things. This is a very coordinated effort. And, and like a, there was like a spreadsheet with potential reviews that people could use. Yeah. And instructions on how to not make these reviews seem like they're all coming from the same place. Sending people home to go do this so that the app stores wouldn't flag it all com- from coming from like just the single office location that they had in New York City. So very coordinated effort there. And you know, Katie and I talked about this, like, are they going to come after our ratings now? <laughs> <laughs> So that's our call to action to you. If you haven't left us a rating and a review, <laughs> please oh, do so. We appreciate your feedback. And But overall, the people that we've talked to said that these are platforms that are fine if you are starting to end up you know, going out, launching on your own into a practice. It's a way of getting some revenue while you might have some time. Your time commitment is kind of set up for yourself. The pay is fair. Not even, not, not even fair. The, 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 the pay exists. 
Um, there it's is not, pay. There, there is, is pay. You get paid. If, if you make enough money, you actually get paid. <laughs> it, it's a way of, you know, taking on some some clients and being matched without having to do all the legwork of marketing your practice and that kind of stuff. But does the people that we've talked to have said it doesn't seem to be a thing that you are going to fully make a, a income on solely working in this area. Obviously, Katie and I have a lot of concerns about the data mining and the way that that information can be used. Yeah. It speaks to probably the next decade of where online psychotherapy is potentially going as it gets more and more the interest of the tech world. We'd love to hear more of your thoughts and experiences with this. And you can always let us know on our social media, and uh, we'll include links to those in our show notes. And come join our Modern Therapist group over on Facebook, and we would love to hear those experiences there as well. And until next time, I'm Kurt Whedon with Katie Vernoy. Remember to check out Thryzer. They are passionate about making out-of-network therapy work for everyone. Clients save upfront on therapy while therapists earn their full rate. Get started in minutes on join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist and use the promo code modern therapists and receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. Thanks so much to our partner, Therapy Notes, the highest rated practice management solution for behavioral health. Don't forget, using promo code modern gets you two free months. Thank you for listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. Learn more about who we are and what we do at mtsgpodcast.com. You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes. 